Thank you, worship team. Thank you, Brad, for leading us to the throne. Now, I want you to turn in your Bibles, if you would, as we continue to worship through the Word now. There's a Bible in the back of your chair in front of you. Looks something like this. Page 25, we're starting toward the front. We've been walking from Genesis to Revelation, the whole story of reality. And so here we are, February 21st, and we're still in Genesis. So we've got a ways to go, and so we're journeying through some things. Remember last time we were together via video, if you watched that last week, if not, you can go to YouTube and search First Baptist Church Denver City. You can catch up to where we are. Uh, we looked at the covenant of faith and how God, in spite of Abraham's sin, God still kept his promise, kept his promises. And that's what we're looking at again today, the promises that God made and how he fulfilled them through Abraham's grandson, Jacob. But Jacob is quite a mess. If you know anything at all about Jacob and, and Esau and the whole story that begins there in Genesis 23 and, and following, we're going to look at, at uh, 29, 15 through 35 in just a moment. You, you know how much a mess he is. You, you remember that Jacob swindled his twin brother Esau out of not only his birthright, but his father's deathbed blessing. He disguised himself as his brother Esau and tricked him. And so his father blessed Jacob instead of Esau. Esau furious at that. Jacob's on the run when we catch up to him in chapter 29 from his brother Esau. And we know as he's running that he is trying to make some sense of the mess of his life. Now, I don't know about you, but I know in our family sometimes there's there's a mess. You look at your, your brothers and sisters and your in-laws and outlaws, and you look at your cousins and your aunts and your uncles, and it doesn't take long to identify who really is the culprit in the mess. And if you think you don't have those in your family, then you're probably the one as you think about it. It's a mess, isn't it? There, there is brokenness and all that. And so that's why the story of Jacob is so relevant for us today. Just to learn, really, what is he looking for out of life? And what are you looking for out of life? I mean, aren't we all trying to get where Jacob was with his father Esau, who said, may, the, may God Almighty, in chapter 28, verse 3, bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you? That's what we want, isn't it? Isn't it? A blessed life. A happy life. Us and our, our families and friends and all around us. That's what we're looking for. But Jacob looks in the wrong place. He's looking for love in all the wrong places like that great theologian Johnny Lee sang about. He's looking for it in a, a wife. A woman. Now, men, uh, we've been there, haven't we? Women, not a woman, but a man. You think about this, and aren't we always thinking along these terms? If I could just find, as we're young, we think about it, if I could just find the right team or the right subject or, or the right school to go to, or I could find the right boyfriend or, or the right girlfriend, or I could find the right spouse later on, or I could find the right job, I could be fixed. I could be whole. I could be happy. Jacob's looking for that. 
when we take up in chapter 29, beginning with verse 15. And we're going to look at the search uh, for one true love or the search for the, the blessed life here in this passage. And we'll just stand in honor of the reading. We're going to read 20 verses. So if you have trouble standing, we understand if you need to sit down during this. But we want to look at this together. Verses 15 through 35, Genesis chapter 29, after Jacob had stayed with Laban, because that's where this running has led him to his uncle to look for a wife. With Laban for a month, Laban said to him, you shouldn't work for me without pay just because we are relatives. Tell me how much your wages should be. Now Laban had two daughters. The older daughter was named Leah, and the younger one was Rachel. There was no sparkle in Leah's eyes. But Rachel had a beautiful figure and a lovely face. Since Jacob was in love with Leah. No, Jacob was in love with Rachel. He told her father, I'll work for you seven years if you'll give me Rachel, your younger daughter, as my wife. Agreed, Laban replied. I'd rather give her to you than to anyone else. Stay and work with me. So Jacob worked seven years to pay for Rachel. But his love for her was so strong that it seemed to him but a few days. Finally, the time came for him to marry her. I fulfilled my agreement, Jacob said to Laban. Now give me my wife so I can sleep with her. So Laban invited everyone in the neighborhood and prepared a wedding feast. But that night, when it was dark, Laban took Leah to Jacob. And he slept with her. Laban given Leah a servant, Zilpah, to be her maid. But when Jacob woke up in the morning, it was Leah. What have you done to me, Jacob raised in Laban? I worked seven years for Rachel. Why have you tricked me? It's not our custom here to marry off a younger daughter ahead of the firstborn, Laban replied. But wait until the bridal week is over. Then we'll give you Rachel too, provided you promise to work another seven years for me. So Jacob agreed to work seven more years. A week after Jacob had married Leah, Laban gave him Rachel too. Laban gave Rachel a a servant, Bilhah, to be her maid. And so Jacob slept with Rachel too, and he loved her much more than Leah. He then stayed and worked for Laban the additional seven years. And when the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he enabled her to have children. But Rachel could not conceive. So Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. So she named him Reuben. For she said, the Lord has noticed my misery, seen my misery. And now my husband will love me. She soon became pregnant again and gave birth to another son. She named him Simeon. For she said, the Lord heard that I was unloved and has given me another son. And she became pregnant a third time and gave birth to another son. He was named Levi. For she said, surely this time my husband will feel affection for me. Since I have given him three sons. Once again, Leah became pregnant and gave birth to another son. She named him Judah. For she said, now, this time, I will praise the Lord. And then she stopped having children. 
Father, teach us from your word. Speak to us about what our hearts long for. Lord, I know there are people in this place whose hearts are empty because they don't know you. And Lord, I know they're searching, looking. They wouldn't even be here today had you not wooed them to this place, had you not caused them to seek and to search. So Father, I pray you'd speak. Speak through this narrative, through your word. But Father, unless you speak, I have nothing to say. In your holy and precious name we pray. Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Let's look at it together. We're going to unpack this a little bit. When I was about 21 or so, Jennifer and I had decided to get married. And I can remember 805 Holiday Street. We were there just yesterday in Plainview, Texas in the basement. I had a conversation with Jennifer and I. Jennifer sitting next to me. And across the room, her dad and her mom were were there. And I said, I would like to have your daughter's hand in marriage. And my father-in-law, if you know him or have ever met him, he's quite the jokester. He said, which one? I didn't know if he meant which hand or which daughter or... All I knew is was I was nervous anyway, and he made me even more nervous as he, he talked about that. But I would have been very disappointed because I was not in love with the other daughter. I was in love with that daughter. You understand what's going on here with Jacob and Leah and Rachel, don't you? Jacob has seen Rachel, and I think it's love at very first sight. And now he wants to have her as his wife. She's the one who Jerry Maguire would talk about is, he thinks, going to complete him. He's going to fix everything that's wrong with his messed up life. If he could have that beautiful woman, then he could have everything his heart desired. Everything would be turned around. Oh, but we see uh, how this sordid tale plays out here in this passage, don't we? And so as we look at that, I just want to draw your attention to some of these verses. I hope you still have your scripture open. And we see Jacob loved Leah, or loved Rachel more than Leah. And when the Lord saw that that Leah was not loved in verses 30 and 31, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. You see what, what Leah wants is Jacob's love and affection. And what Rachel wants to complete her is children. And what Jacob wants is this super hot Rachel. We know because of the description of her in verse 17. It says there was no sparkle in Leah's eyes or her eyes were weak. Now that's a very confusing term in the original language. And so we don't know exactly what that means. She had, she had weak eyes. But we do know that he compares that to Rachel's beauty because Rachel had a beautiful figure and a lovely face. In our day, she was smoking hot. But Leah, she might have been facing east and one eye to the north and one eye to the south. When I was in junior high, I remember the the cheer. I think it was probably Gaddis Junior High School in Clovis. U-G-L-Y, you ain't got no alibi, you ugly. Yeah, yeah, you ugly. You remember that? I wonder if Leah walks into the junior high gym and people start chanting that. Kids are cruel, aren't they? But so are adults. 
And Jacob doesn't want Leah. Jacob wants Rachel. And so when it comes time for uh, wages to be discussed, and by the way, Jacob meets his match in deception in his uncle Laban. You see, it looks like Laban is being very generous when he says to, to Jacob, hey, just because we're kin, because you're my nephew, I'm your uncle, doesn't mean you need to work for me for free. So you name your price. You name your wages. You know what he's doing? He's moving their relationship from, from host to guest, which he would have been very responsible for and had to take care of Jacob, to employer and employee. It's not as generous as you might think because he wants to have some control over Jacob. He knows what's, what's going on here And so he says, you name your own price. And he's very manipulative, conniving, very shrewd in his negotiation because if Jacob names a a great price, he knows he can come down off of that. And if he doesn't name enough, then hey, he's a sucker. And so he asked Jacob to name his own price. And Jacob says, I'll work for you for seven years for for your daughter, Rachel. Look at the, the text. Jacob worked seven years to pay for Rachel. That was the price, the bridal price, the dowry for her. And it was four times the going rate. I wonder if Laban thought, ah, I got a sucker here. I know I can do something with this deal. It says, but his love for her was so strong in verse 20. That it seemed to him, to Jacob, but a few days. Oh, all the women in the place need to go, ah. Oh. But his love for her was such that it seemed but a few days. You know what it means? Jacob is obsessed. Jacob is consumed. Jacob is smitten, infatuated, whatever you want to say with Rachel's beauty. And he will do anything, anything at all, to gain her as his wife. Verse 21 says, Finally the time came for him to marry her after his seven years. It says, I've fulfilled my agreement, Jacob said to Laban. Now give me my wife so I can sleep with her. You know what? This, I don't mean this to be offensive. Maybe we need to go uh, to children's church again, but I, you, you explain this to your kids later if you would. What he's saying to her is, I'm ready for sex. You hear? That, that's not a thing that a father of a bride wants to hear from his son-in-law. I, I can't imagine. It's, it's meant to be a, a kind of crass, a kind of bold, a kind of vulgar. Statement. Because all he could think about these seven years was getting to sleep with Rachel. You see, what he's focused on is sex and with Laban, money and, and, and power. He thinks those are the things that he needs to experience a blessed life. It's become for him Really an idol. We'll talk about that in just a second. Rachel has become an idol to him. So, Leah and Laban. More Laban than Leah. 
schemes. And, I, and I'm thinking, if I'm Leah's daddy, I wonder if she's ever going to get married. I'm going to have to do something here, drastic. I'm going to have to scheme and do something. And he does. And so when it's time, he throws this big party. Now, there are three things that would cause um, Jacob to be confused about who he's going to sleep with that night. One is just the fact they didn't have electricity. There were, it was a dark tent, okay? And, and two is they were had been partying hours and hours of drinking, so he, he very likely could, could have been drunk at this point. And, and so we, we see those two things, and she's probably, the third thing is, she's probably veiled. So he, he can't really know. But he is so ready that all that happens is he may have cried out, Rachel and Leah might have answered like she was Rachel. I can even imagine a conversation that Leah and Jacob would have had, a kind of an imaginary conversation later when, when I cried out, Rachel, why did you answer like you were Rachel? And Leah saying to Jacob, well, when your father cried out in the dark, Esau, why did you answer Esau? You see... What's happened here is the deceiver, Jacob, has been deceived by his father-in-law. We call that what comes around, goes around, what goes around, comes around. We call that what you sow, you will reap. We call that poetic justice or divine retribution or your sin. No matter what it is, we'll find you out. And so Jacob, after he has slept with Leah, says, what have you done to me? But when it comes time to agreeing for another seven years, he doesn't say anything. He agrees. One, he's still infatuated with Rachel. But two, he knows that it's been done to him exactly what he did to someone else. And now he's going to have to And he, he does. Now, Leah is obtained on the layaway plan. Jacob worked seven years and then he gets Leah. He didn't know he was going to get Leah. He thought he was going to bed with Rachel. But in the morning, it was Leah. And Rachel is obtained on the credit plan. You see that. A week later after the honeymoon, then he gets Rachel. So they're there a week apart. Can you imagine that? Now, this... I know some of you have some great honeymoon tales, some great tragedies. I heard about one this week. A preacher uh, was talking about how he and his wife went on a Caribbean cruise and they were snorkeling and she had, had this special um, red swimsuit and, and he was snorkeling and she, he thought uh, that was her above him and, and he did what a, a young um, <laughs> groom would do to a young bride on a honeymoon in that scenario and he comes to the top and he realizes it's another woman and her husband is watching him and his wife is watching her and he swims about a mile down the road because, uh, you know, not a good tale. This is not a, a great honeymoon story, is it? Let's look at what happens though when you think about it for just a moment. When, when all of, of these folks are searching, Jacob's searching for a wife, Leah's searching for a love. What are they searching for? True love. And that can only be found. 
spoken to them in Jesus. Young people, let me say this. If you think your life's going to get better when you get married, just because you get married, every married person in this place say, shake your head like this, no way. I mean, it is a great thing. It is a great thing, baby. But it is work. You know that. And I can't look to her to be everything for me. I can't look for her to be perfect for me. I can't put all my hopes and dreams on her. She can't handle that kind of pressure. And I can't handle that pressure from her. We've got to look to the Lord, to Jesus first and foremost, before we ever look to a spouse, before we ever look to a parent, before we ever look to a job, before we ever look to friends, before we ever look to anything else or anyone else, what we are searching for, for the blessed life, what we are searching for, for our one true love is Jesus. He's the only one who will never let us down. And you've searched other places and you know and we've made idols of other things. And we know because here's what happens. There are good things. Marriage is a good thing. Family is a good thing. Work is a good thing. All those good things. When we put them in the place of the Lord, they become God things and they become bad things because they cannot fulfill our soul. We can't look to a new marriage or we can't look to a new relationship or we can't look to a new project to do those things. We look to the Lord. And that's where the blessed life comes from. So here's a question I want to ask you. What is it in your life that you feel like you cannot live without? I've dealt with lots of folks at gravesides and thinking they cannot live without the loss of their loved ones. I've dealt with lots of folks in bankruptcy who thought they could not survive that shame. But they can. And they do. But I've never dealt with anyone who didn't know Jesus who had hope. If you put your trust in anything else or anyone else, you'll be disappointed. You'll be decimated. You'll ultimately be devastated. Because it cannot. They cannot satisfy. Augustine said it this way, our hearts will always be restless until we find our rest, God. In you. So second thing I want you to see from this story, this passage, is that the, Lord, the Lord's blessing comes not to those who strive, but to those who receive it by faith. You see what Jacob's doing? He's trying to get ahead. And he does it by deception. But really, in this passage, what Leah is doing, is a little more conservative. She's trusting in, in family values. And maybe we can identify with her a little bit more. She is trying to be for, 
for Jacob all that she thinks she ought to be in a wife. And so the most important thing there is to bear sons, and she does it with great proficiency. And the names of these sons give great indication as to what is going on. She has the firstborn son. And by the way, we see that, that Leah is unloved. And it, just to paraphrase this, God opens her womb is God saying, in His Word, I think clearly that God, even though Jacob's not loving her, God is loving her and blessing her and opening her womb. And she has this son. His name is Reuben. And Reuben means, look, a son. And he, she thinks the Lord has seen her in her misery. And now maybe Jacob will pay attention and look at me himself. And so she has another son. She's popping these out. We might not call her Leah. We might call her Fertile Myrtle. Man, she's having babies left and right. She has another son. His name is Simeon. And Simeon means that the Lord has heard. And she thinks, now maybe my husband will listen to me. Instead of just saying, oh yeah, whatever, whatever. Maybe he'll really listen to me. She's looking for love. So she has another son, Levi. This time, hey, the third one is the charm, right? This time, my husband is going to be attracted, have affection, be attached to me. That's what Levi means. And then something happens before the fourth son. I don't know exactly how to describe it, but I, I can only think of it as God's, God's grace. There's a transformation in Leah's life where she sees, hey, I can't put all my hopes and dreams in Jacob. It's not going to happen. She has another son, and she names him Judah, which means this time, I'll praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Now, you, you think about this story for, for just a moment. We got, we got one guy. We've got four women, and this is the story of Jacob, and we've got 12 sons and a daughter. I mean, this is great Jerry Springer stuff right here. If you, you think about all that was going on, and Jerry Springer had 4,000 shows, they would have fit right in. All of this tale, it's a sordid sort of tale if you like those kind of... No, you don't have to read um, romance novels. You can just read the Bible. It's all in there. I want you to read that for yourself. But as you think about all that's, that's going on here, you get to the point where you, you recognize, hey, in this story of Jacob, wouldn't you have chosen Joseph? Because that's who Jacob chose. He was the favorite son. You ladies are studying him on Wednesday night. It, to, to fulfill the promises of God, wouldn't you have done that through, through Joseph? The one who was born of the loved wife, Rachel, the, the firstborn of Rachel. But God doesn't fulfill his promises through Joseph. God fulfills his promises through Judah. The line of Judah. You might have heard of him. His name is Jesus. This is amazing to me. You want to really be amazed? Go read Genesis chapter 38 and the story of Judah and Tamar. 
is daughter-in-law. Hey, if you're under the age of 13, don't read that without a parent's consent. All right? Talk about a sordid tale. If you know the story, now somebody, I know you're looking at it right now. What's that say? What's that say? It's good. It shows us what God is doing. Because what God is doing is He is choosing the people that we wouldn't choose. And that's what God always does. Isaac would have chosen Esau and not Jacob to fulfill his plan because Esau was a man's man. I mean, he was hairy. He was redheaded. He was a hunter. He was an outdoorsman. He would, he would have driven an F-350 kind of deal. He, he wouldn't have chosen Jacob who would drive a Miata or something like that, you know. He's a girly man. <laughs> I got quite an imagination, don't I? But read it. It's there. Look at it. God chooses Jacob because God wants us to know it's Him. It's not in what they do. It's what in his, it's in what He does. That's how His grace works. God does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And it's not in Leah or Jacob striving that God blesses. It's in His grace. It's in His love. It's in His faith. The Scripture would bear it out in other places like Romans 9, 16. Look at it with me on the screen. It says, so it is God who decides to show mercy. We can neither choose or we can neither choose nor work for it. Titus 3 5 says, He saved us not because of the righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sin, giving us new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. It's what he has done. He's made us righteous. Ephesians 2 8 and 9. You'll know this verse. God saved us. God saved you by his grace. When you believe. You can take credit. You can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. We haven't done anything. We've got to stop trying and start trusting. We've got to start, stop striving and start believing. What God says is true. See, Jacob has this experience with God in chapter 28. And in that experience, God tells Jacob at that place called Bethel that he'll be with him and he will never leave him. And yet Jacob, even after he hears those words, continues to, to mess up royally. And we sometimes think, well, I've had this conversion experience, and so why do I still do and think the things I do and think? Because God's not done. He's still in the process of working on us and transforming us into the image of Himself. See, the Lord doesn't love us. This is number three on your outline. Because we are beautiful and we've got it all together. Instead, we become beautiful because He loves us anyway. 
unconditionally, sacrificially. And that's hard for a lot of us to accept. That He loves us because we're His. I don't love my kids because they're smart or they're beautiful or they're athletic. They may or may not have been. I love my kids because they're my kids. God loves us not because we're smart or beautiful or athletic or hardworking. Not because we've seen His grace and experienced it and accepted it and, and, and relish in it. They're so appreciative for it. We, he loves us in spite of how we respond to His goodness and grace. Because of who He is. 1 John 3.2 says this, Dear friends, we're already God's children. You've already placed your faith in Him. You're, you're a child of God. But He's not shown us yet what we will be when we are like Him, when Christ appears. But we do not know that we will be, we, but we do know that we will be like Him, for we will see Him as He really is. We will see Him as He really is. The lover of our souls. Our true bridegroom. Our one true love. The one who really blesses us with life and everything we need it. The one who loves us unconditionally, eternally, passionately. Enough to lay down his life on the cross. That's how He demonstrated His love for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Have you accepted that? Are you looking to anything else for the blessed life except to Him? If you're here today and you know your life might be messed up or you've got an emptiness in you and you don't know what that's all about, and you know you need something, someone, would you receive Christ today? Because I believe that's what you're looking for. That's what your heart longs for. And you can do that just by admitting you need Him. That you've blown it. That you're a sinner. And you believe that He died on the cross for your sin and you choose this day to follow Him. You can do that. We'll give you opportunity to do that. In just a moment as we sing about His amazing grace. If you're here today and you've already done that, I wonder if you would, would recognize that there's help even after that decision, even after you're knowing Him. There's help in His Word and there's help in His people. Maybe you'll take a next step of joining His people, joining this church, or or next step of, of being baptized like Avery and Kenny were today, or, or a next step of joining a a small group, a life group, or a Sunday school class, or, or a Wednesday evening men's or women's study. What's the next step for you? Your heart still longing? Because if you've experienced His love, and you're walking, the next step for you may be an area of service, sharing, how good our God is. Let's pray together.
Father, I ask right now, if there's somebody in this place who needs to make a, a decision for you or needs prayer or needs to take a next step, that you give them the courage to take that next step. Maybe they've been thinking about it for a long time, joining the church or being baptized or, or getting connected to a group. Maybe they've been thinking a long time about making a public profession of faith. Lord, today, would Your Spirit move? Would You give them courage? The power of Your strong name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.